welcome back to Flights Throughout Gazia. Another episode just of us chilling, talking, shooting the shit. Armin, how you doing today? I'm all good. How about you? I can't complain. I can't complain. I'm still kind of mapping out my drive across the country. I'm working on that, packing up here and there. It's crazy, crazy week right now. But besides that, doing good. Doing good. I'm and... tired. Shit. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> I'm not uh, it's all good. tired as shit. I'm just tired, I think. That's true. But not really. Like, I feel wide awake at the same time. For those of y'all that did, didn't see that as an all of y'all, I just gave Chip the bird because screw him. How y'all doing today? You're going to give me more of the bird when I tell you I went to bed at like four? Okay, you can piss off. <laughs> uh, how y'all doing today? Thank you so much for joining us, as always. All right, that's a <laughs> real bad intro right there. Nailing yeah, it. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, hey, you're the one that's supposed to be nailing the intros. I'm just here for the content. Oh, is that so? So when you choose a book, are you going to be the one who has to nail the intros? No. Are you sure? Yeah, because when I choose the book, you'll still be editing this. <laughs> and? <laughs> uh, fair enough, fair enough. All right. Uh, with that all being said, thank you all again so much for being here, listening to us, supporting us, being a part of our community. We hope it's growing. We're hoping that you are inviting your friends and your family members to listen to us and introduce them to the series because we don't want this series to die. We love the series. Uh, we also want to have it be made into a some form of film, whether that's TV show or movie. Um, you know, so the more the people that are involved, the more likely it could happen. Uh, with that being said, though, I am going to let Armin just kind of take it away. All right, y'all. Starting off, we're kicking it off with chapters 20 and 21, A Flower Made of Flame and Dust and Ashes. I swear, lighting flower on fire has to be one of, like, author's favorite fantasy tropes. Like, really? not, that's not a trope, but, like, I come across it so much. I don't know if it's just the specific books I read, but, like, yeah. Maybe. 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 I don't know. But anyway. Anyway, anyway. Starting off, Roran puts Brigman under house arrest, or however much house arrest you can put someone under in a tent. Did I did I misread <laughs> something? He was just being like a jerk about it all, right? And that's How, it. He was kind of being a dick. Like Okay, like, but still, you, like you're gonna put someone in a house tent arrest for being a dick. I no, should no, no, be I'm in saying, house arrest. I'm saying yes, but I was saying Roran was kind of being a dick. Like, oh, okay. Like, like, what I was what I was saying is, what did Brigman do to be put under? I mean, Roran was saying it says like after his near insubordination yesterday, Roran put him under tent arrest and let him back out because he's good with the sword. But like, I mean, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. In terms of like military structures and all that stuff, yes. But like, almost insubordination isn't insubordination. I know. And I just, you know. Roran's coming with the uh, the fairly heavy hand in uh I can't even call this diplomacy. It's not. It's just like <laughs> anyway, he's not making any friends. Although clearly his actions at the end of this section do change that, which is also a little weird. So yeah. How, how do you go from like being I guess we'll just go ahead and talk about it. how do you go from being put under house arrest by a commander that you clearly hate to them having him recommend you as like to having him recommend you to like the head hot show to be the next like so I, I think 
I don't think Brinkman was ever really a bad leader. I think he Maybe just so. didn't like he just didn't have like the skill set or the knowledge of what to do to overcome the obstacle in front of him. And that's where like he just I, didn't have the author on his side. Oh yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure Roar just has the author on his side about just coming yeah. out of the blue and completely just knowing everything about military. Yeah. So uh, we've already we've already vented about that for oh, yeah. the past like three episodes. I'm sure y'all are tired of hearing us rant about that. But we're gonna rant about it again today because screw y'all. But but yeah, but basically though, that's it. Like there, there's you you said it. The author was like my words is on the side. And granted, the way you come back, let me phrase that come back, quotation marks are people from being almost in like near insubordination to being recommended to leading is that you were already in that situation and you never did anything wrong. Like, I don't think he actually yeah. did anything wrong. And so with, and he just, and that's why he might've been pissed with Warren more so because he felt that he is doing the best he can at this situation. Like he is doing everything he can think of. And so having Warren come in, it's helpful one because he has like a whole fresh mind and different outlook on the thing, but that doesn't help him in the scenario of accepting it. You know, he's, he's very, yeah. yeah. And so I think, like, I mean, and from Rowan's perspective, Brigman doesn't get the job done, which is very fair. And he is a bit of an ass. Like when Rowan comes in, but like that meant Rowan said way more to that guy than he's done. (laughs) And also like, like how, my, my thing as well is like, how are you going to like put this man under tent arrest for near insubordination? I don't know. When he literally, Rorden literally got his post by doing that. <laughs> but he literally, that's like the only reason Rorden has his post is because he didn't follow orders. Right. So like, you'd think that he'd be a bit more sympathetic to it. Um, but fine, fine. I'll let it go. I'll let it go. The whole Roar and Brigman thing is just weird. Oh, yeah. But I'll let it go. Moving on. I do like the battering ram plan. I do really like, like we, I, we didn't know what Roar's plan, like genius plan was and why he was being such an ass to all the people around him up until now. Yeah. But um, I do really like the battering ram plan. Like I'm getting very heavy, like Tolkien-esque, like uh, when the end sack Isengard, like release the river kind of thing. Yes. Um, yes. Which I... I think this is one of the moments where, like, he, again, author on his side, but he also, he he can look at a situation, is able to decipher a scenario that would make sense. But I think he takes it, and this is, and this is where I get, not necessarily his military knowledge and tactics, but his thought process and how to do things. Sure. As a farm sure. person, there might be scenarios where something goes wrong in the fields, or you're having to fix something. And so you're having to work with what all that you have. And so I believe that he's able to do a cross analysis situation in terms of what he has and what he, what he needs to accomplish. And so I think he kind of uses that in the same format for this. So it's not to say that he has any military experience because he doesn't, but he does have very good thinking experience, I think, in terms of understanding how to take what is. <laughs> I'm sorry, thinking thinking experience. He has some good thinking experience. <laughs> some good thinking experience. <laughs> I don't, but he does. He does. Uh, That's what well, Katrina found in him. A good thinking experience. You need practice in that, my friend. <laughs> oh yes. 
It hurts my head too much, so therefore I don't. Oh my god. Anyway. <laughs> no, I, I I agree. Like that's definitely something that I think one of the reasons why I'm less keen to try and poke holes in the battering ram thing is because it takes a bit less military know-how and a bit more just creativity, which is great. Like that's absolutely um that is absolutely fine. I really appreciate how like I like how Palini goes about this. And it also is like very, very like very Isengard sack release the river kind of thing. Not, I'm sorry, I, I can't not gonna lie. This is one of those moments where you can very clearly tell how much Lord of the Rings influenced Tolkien. Right. Um, although, wait, did the movies come out? Did the movies come out after he wrote this? Because that's not in the book. That was in the second one. Two Towers, yeah. 2004 or 2011? 2011. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I'm a bit more comfortable in saying that this is one of the one of the moments where like it's clearly like how much Lord of the Rings influenced Palini, uh, as it did all authors. Um, yeah. All yes, yeah. So it is a good moment though. And also, I just got to point out like the way that Palini describes Roran's sections, like his motions, his actions, like all the stuff that's happening, is uh, it's very like folklore. Like any to any section of Roran's about an action that he's doing could be told around a campfire and would be perfect. Oh, it's yeah. like the tone, like the tone and the diction that he uses while like Roran's doing stuff. Oh, yeah. The way he describes what Roran does is like something you would hear around a campfire. Like it's pretty awesome. Yeah. And you know, it's you know, as we've always said, Palini has great imagery and great description within his writing. Yeah. And like times like these, like or in sections like these, it really comes out when Palini was saying like his motivation is to write stories and like his prime purpose in this is that he is in himself a storyteller. So like it makes a lot of sense and it's very uh it, it's very evident, especially when like Roran's like riding the barge down the down the river. Right. Which I think maybe my interpretation of how big the river was was a little off. Just given I think barge. So. I thought so it was I, large, like a very massive river. Yeah, I was thinking of it as like a, like a stream looking thing. But, but I'm um, pretty sure it's like the Eno. Yeah, yeah, like it's pretty big. Um, local reference, if any of y'all get that one. But uh, did, I, did it make, well, have you seen Eno. Stranger Things? Yeah. Did it make a reference to the Eno? I haven't watched all of Stranger Things. Uh, I stopped I've, season. I've watched I, season, I just watched episode one and two and haven't watched anything else. Oh, 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 I watched through season two and they only reference the only reference off the top of my head I can remember is Cornwallis Road. Okay. Um, I know there's more. Like, I, I, I remember catching a few more. I just can't remember them. I right. don't think the unit was one of them. But anyway, uh, local reference for any of y'all who are stalking us. But um, anyway. <laughs> happy thoughts. <laughs> happy thoughts. Happy thoughts. Um, Anyway, uh, just another, like, I'm sorry, what is that movie about William Wallace? Braveheart? Um, yeah, Braveheart. How the hell can you <laughs> not remember Braveheart? Because I never actually saw it. Really? Yeah. Oh. Well, if you watch any Mel Gibson movie in that scenario, was, they're all about the same. That's fair, but I was growing up when Mel Gibson was, when we were kind of finding out that he wasn't that great of a guy. It's like, we never really watched any of his movies. I mean, true, but... The movies are still good. Not all of them. Touche. 
I know Braveheart's classic, but um, I never actually watched it. But sorry, I was getting very, very like freedom like vibes when Roran's like making his speech. Yes. To the guys. My my, my like, feeling is, and I hope he has another one like this. Is the Aragorn one from you know right in front of the Black Gates? And this is not. This is not fair. as intense. This is not as intense or not as no, good not and nowhere near as good. But maybe Roran could take a couple lessons from Aragorn and you know, get there. You know, I I, I kind of wish that. I don't, I, I kind of disagree, actually. I don't think that Roran should have a very, like, big, eloquent, like, inspiring speech. Because mm. Roran's not supposed to be eloquent. Like, come on. We hate the whole thing while he's fighting. He's like, <laughs> small man get hit by hammer. <laughs> just, like, that's, like, all that he does. <laughs> so, he's just, like, <laughs> sword technique. So, hammer red, whenever he plays Skyrim. Red, whenever he plays anything. <laughs> like... <laughs> You can tell Red I said that. I'll agree. But, no, I know. <laughs> but um, like, no, I have some, I have some comparisons to Roran's fighting style uh, later on. But, um, like, I don't, like, Roran, Roran's whole, like, demeanor, at least on the battlefield, isn't, like, the Aragorn, like, king, kingly elegance and kingly grace kind of thing. It's kind of just, yeah, small man get hit by hammer, go boom. Like, that's kind <laughs> of just what it is. Like, oh. Which is uh, going back to last episode. That's another reason why I was kind of like, really, with the with the whole like campfire thing. Because once again, like his natural response, as we're seeing by his actions, is <laughs> small man get hit by hammer. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and like, it's so like it's just a threatening attitude, you know. Yeah, and that's all he yeah. has. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, uh, we'll get into my comparisons to to Roran's play style, if you will, um, a bit later on. But anyway, anyway. <laughs> actually no we'll get into that right now just i'm gonna say i think we're diving into it yeah so i did appreciate some like actually in terms of like we're, we're joking a lot but i do really appreciate what palini did with roran's internal narrative or internal monologue during this fight scene it's like he's showing that roran's philosophy on fighting and how it, like it's indicating that he's gaining experience um like he is he's getting more accustomed and we were saying he has no battle experience as he gets into more and more battles it's like we do kind of have to correct, our, correct ourselves because like he's been in like just in this book that's been narrated to us he's been in a fair amount it's like he, right. it shows that he is gaining experience i i do have to point out the most sword like it's funny and it's great like it's very personified of Roran to make fun of swords being like all these like flashy gaudy movements but like most sword techniques aren't as like stupidly like ridiculously flashy as he's making them out to be like right I, like the prime example being like samurai who okay. had like infamously ridiculously like gaudy sword movements like the flashy like spinning sword thing that's out oh, been heavily stereotyped now but like there was a lot of like stylism and meant for like misdirection and distraction and those like it wasn't just like hey i can swing my sword really fast as Roran's like making fun of it to be like it's <laughs> um and speed's also a lot more important than i i found for realism with this fight scene because like Roran's using a warhammer and he's using it the way the warhammers are supposed to be used like he's just like doing like the whole smash thing he's jabbing right. with the head of it like He's using it the way a warhammer should be used, but he's using it at like the speed that a dagger would be used, like but, I mean, which makes sense because it's just a hammer, you know. It's not even, a, you know, what I mean, like I feel like I do understand the situation of like 
if you have a one like a single wielded like a single hand melee weapon compared to a two-handed melee weapon and like i'm not saying the hammer isn't heavy clearly we know it's heavy he's bashing skulls left and right breaking ribs killing people it's clearly heavy it has some power even if it was you know the super like a super small hammer uh or a super light hammer with his speed he wouldn't be able to do that there has to be some weight behind the scenario yeah. Um, it, but my point being is that because he is able to use it like that, I, I'm not. I'm not happy that he can use it at the dagger speed, but I understand how it could easily be used at a dagger speed. Personally. That's that's very fair. Like the speed with it isn't too outrageous. I was just like, I was kind of like, he shouldn't be moving faster than people that have been training with their swords their entire life. Yeah. Like, and especially like a like when you if you swing like a baseball bat that's heavier than what you should be swinging. And even if you swing with two hands, like if you swing with two hands and it's heavier, and it's like, let's say it's like a, I usually swing a 32 and you swing a 34. You can feel the difference. And if you swing it too hard, you're going to go off balance. Uh-huh. Um, because the torque and the angle of the bat, like you're going to, like with the weight distribution of the bat compared to yourself, if you swing a bat with two hands and it's heavier than what you're used to, you will go off balance. Right. And if you do that with one hand, it'll be even less steady and you'll go even more off balance. Now, Roran is very strong and we can see that he can swing that hammer anyway. But even if, um, even with a baseball bat, like if you're supposed to be swinging with a 32, you can, you have in your entire life and you still swing it too hard, you will still go off balance. Like you will still lose your balance if you swing something too hard. But, um, and like with that, that's where like a lot of technique and practice comes in with, uh, training with weapons is not over swinging and same thing with like training with a baseball like if you're swinging a baseball bat you're going to get used to that motion and you're going to get used to um uh all of the mechanics that it takes to swing the bat without throwing yourself off balance uh which is where a lot more of like nuance of weapon technique comes in and the way that Roran's using the warhammer makes me think that either this man is just a god which arguable given that the stuff he's done or I just have to suspend my disbelief just a little bit. Just a little bit. Um, but I will say, I will say in terms of the past couple of sections of Roran, this chapter has been, or this section has been a lot easier to suspend my disbelief. That is like, true. Yeah. Like there's been like, Palini hasn't pushed that boundary as much in this one. And he does some justifying and like reins it back in a little bit, which I do yes. appreciate. Like Palini, he's, he's very conscious. He's very conscious of how what he writes is going to come across. Um, yes and, and i think he grows more into that through the series i think you can anyone could read it and realize that he grows more absolutely. into that over the series also absolutely so this being the fourth book of the series and not i mean i would say it's a wrap-up i get that there's still the witch the the fourth the witch of the worm but like a lot of people have said those are short stories and yep. yes they're you know taken after this series or like a as an epilogue um and but that doesn't mean postlogue. It's epilogue. Epilogue. Yeah. Okay. The epilogue of it. Um, even though they are, it doesn't mean that they're still like going to affect what has already occurred. And so, I, yeah. but my point being is that like this, with this being his fourth book, he is definitely Palini is definitely coming more into understanding and figuring out how to pace and play these characters not overly godly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, he's been he's been writing in a lot more. And I do want to talk about that 
uh, sort of as our next point, he attempts to justify Roran's lack of experience in this fight scene as well. Not just justify implies that like he's like covering something up. I, he's not. I don't think it is. I think he qualifies Roran's uh, fighting ability by talking about usage of the hammer. Like Roran's aware that he is not the greatest fighter or that he's aware that he is not the most skilled technically. Right. He just uses stuff that lack that compensates for his lack of skill. And he's aware of that and he uses that stuff in the way that it's meant to be used. Right. Can you imagine how annoying that is? Like that, for context, this is where the comparisons come in. Fighting Roar would be like fighting a level one noob in a COD lobby who's hacking in three different ways and using an M4. Or just fighting a Titan in Destiny. Um, There's some major... Any Titan. Any Titan. Any Titan whatsoever. And any warlock running Dawnblade, but um, and if any, all that they, they get that reference. It's like I, I'm sorry, like I get it, but I'm getting some major, major crayon eating energy right here. Like it's like some absolutely major, like Titan crayon eating Roran ish with a warhammer right now. Is this like very similar to where like you go do all your side quests and then come back to the main mission, like fully ready to just destroy everything as those you're supposed to do on your first level. Yeah. (laughs) Or just like being a level one in Skyrim playing with God mode. Yes. We all, we've, we've all done it at some point. I have. (laughs) That's very good. You don't mod. So fuck it. Um, Oh dude. Sorry. Side note. You can probably take this out, but any of y'all that don't know this, there's a new mod that allows you to parkour around Skyrim like you can in Assassin's Creed. Badass. Like, like climb roofs, jump over, like slide over walls, like parkour through windows, like like just like, like full level Assassin's Creed energy stuff. I believe it's from uh, the animator EVG. Um, okay. Um, so if any of y'all are into modding, it looks phenomenal. I've yet right. to try it out, but it looks like it like a phenomenal mod of like Assassin's Creed level movement. All right. Um, in Skyrim, so like it's it's pretty dope. Um, I was just on Nexus the other day and I was looking at it. But if any of y'all get that reference, go for it. But anyway, aside from Roran's massive crayon eating energy right now, <laughs> at least in terms at least in terms of like games and fighting, not in terms of stupidity. Um, I I would hate fighting Roran. Like yeah. I would hate going up against him because like it's not like because like I would get like like seasoned warriors going up against one another but like this is literally just like a random dude with a hammer wrecking everything. Yeah. Um like if we could break a fourth wall here, I feel like all of the soldiers would have so many gripes. Like um, like uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean like if we could if we could break a fourth wall in pretty much any fantasy story, all of the villain like cannon fodder would have gripes like the stormtroopers <laughs> in Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> but like i feel like it'd be particularly bad like at least if you're a stormtrooper and you get murked by luke skywalker you're like yeah he was a jedi it kind of makes sense but if you get yeah. murked by roar you're like oh come on <laughs> like uh, i've been a guard for seven years and this dude's had a hammer for six months and he's already like <laughs> he's just god tier it's fine <laughs> found the code but anyway anyway uh, moving on you singed my beard when Karn makes the fireball and Roran's beard catches on fire, like it's funny. I get it. It's yes. funny, but of, of all the things to yell in the middle of a fucking battle, you're gonna yell at your magician 
who relies on the ancient language to focus and like and he has to concentrate and like focus all of this stuff and you're gonna yell at him you singed my beard in the middle of a fight i get it i really do and i think it's really funny to be honest it's like it is hilarious it, it's one of those moments where like i think he just really wanted to put a little bit of humor in here but and i do i do believe karn afterwards makes fun of him and says your the torch caught it on fire not my fireball yeah singe your singe my beard very humorous but out of anything, like honestly, like yeah, it's, it's kind of funny as shit. Like, I just don't think like, it's. I, I, no, I, I, I did. I did chuckle, but like. Well, my next comment was going to be, "Rory, if that's what you say in battle, I don't even know. I don't even want to oh, know what your pillow oh, talk is like." Oh god, dude! I knew you were going there as soon as you like the first order out of your mouth. That's fair, but they're inside. They are. They're inside. They got in. Um, and this might just be me. Just one more. Just like, just I know this is very nitpicky, and I mean, y'all appreciate the longer episode, so nitpicky it is. But um, but uh, so like uh, this this might just be me, and I know this is very nitpicky, but I feel like the denizens of Aros is might might just be a little dramatic. Like, Rora is the one kicking in the door. Like, why, why are you calling them monsters for? Like. You're the one bringing hordes of urgles, dwarves, elves, a dragon, and other mythical creatures. Oh, that's right. And a bunch of cats trying to kill you all. And, like, you're going to call them the denizens? Oh, uh, like, yes. Eh, I, I know that that's nitpicky. It's just for dramatic effect. But I, know. I will say, I've got some issues with Roar coming up in these next couple chapters. Okay. First of all, starting off, starting off, I don't know why this just rubbed me raw, but, like, when he says, if you scream, we'll kill you, like, in a happy voice, that that is straight up, psych- that's, like, straight up psychopathic, my guy. Yeah. Like, that's I true. was like, oh, hell no. Like, that's some, like, Pennywise-ish right there. Like, that, that, that ain't right. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can't, like, I, maybe Paolini was going for, like, the friendly, like, ah, please don't scream. We'll kill you if you do. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> that sounds creepy as hell, man. Like, <sighs> Yeah, don't hey, run. Right. We'll also kill you then. Don't run. We'll kill you too. <laughs> but guess what? Like, I'm gonna put your ass to sleep anyway. Oh my! Like imagine, like, imagine that being told to you like a Mickey Mouse voice. Like <laughs> that is some that. Oh, hell no! Don't you do that? I know you can. Don't you dare say that sentence. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that. That is psychopathic, my guy. Yes. I'm like, could you just said? Don't move. Like I feel like I feel like just straight up intimidation would have would have gone better than that. Like yeah. instead of like a just like a if you <laughs> scream, we'll kill you. I'll kill you. <laughs> it's just uh, it's so weird. Uh, I was like, I, I read that. I was like, oh hell no, nah, bro. Like that 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 does not sit right with me. That there is just are, that's there are definite tendencies for him when he goes into battle that he doesn't have when he's not in a battle. Yeah, and like I appreciate Paolini putting those in there because I think he's doing it intentionally, but there's no point in doing it if nobody's going to acknowledge it, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I don't know if somebody is or not. I hope, I really hope to do because Roran gets, Roran becomes like a psychopath when he gets in battles and for more reasons than just this. Yeah. Um, and something particularly at the end that does not sit well with me. Yeah. Um, but like that, that right there is some murder clown ish. 
Like if Rowan ever gets out of the Varden and like needs some money, he'd make a great birthday clown. I but, could uh, <laughs> steal us some candy. Please don't do that ever again. Please. I should just leave. I need to just leave. It's a good thing like I'm facing. No, my yeah, stop it. <laughs> oh, anyway, moving on to anyway. a different line that, that completely throws his whole character into a different personality. I know, I know, I know. All right, so he goes from becoming from like the folklore hero to the murder clown to like like the thief of thieves or the thief. <laughs> I'm sorry, like so Rora is borrowing dialogue from like five different characters. Like what what in the hell was the don't trust strangers line? Dude, that has to do like, with him being the, the assassin. You know, because the assassin's like, oh, I'm your friend, I'm your friend. Well, that's the well, whole that's his whole that's his whole okay. thing. Sure, that's, sure. But like those dudes weren't assassins. No, but and for all we for, for all we know, those dudes are common soldiers. How would they have known that there was an assassin in Rowan's tent? And how would they have known that the assassin was creepy enough to do the I'm your friend, I'm your friend thing? Like, first of all, like, I don't even care if they know that there was an assassin in Rowan's tent or even if they sent them. Nobody could know that that's what that man was going to say as he was trying to kill Rowan. Like, I, I don't care. And also, 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 also. Like, first of all, it's a great line. Like, don't get me wrong. It's a phenomenal line. And in terms, as, one line, as far as one-liners go, fantastic. Why is Rowan the one giving it? Because he was the one who had the assassin to say, my friend. Nah, that assassin justification is bullshit. <laughs> that's the only that's the only thing I can think of though. But like, no, like that 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 justification of like the, the, the assassin, no, it's like nobody can know. First of all, that assassin army friend thing came out of nowhere as well. Like, we appreciated it. It was a good moment. But like, why why is my main character doing that shit? Like that, like yeah. also, also like. Like, that's a cold line. Like, and especially after going from, like, from what I'm from what, what I'm not labeling as the psychotic murder clown side of Roran, <laughs> going, going from that to the don't, be, don't trust strangers after you're about to murder some people like, is a phenomenal line, but, like, dude, you gotta chill, my guy. You, you really gotta chill. Like, your great one-liners are gonna run out. You're just not gonna have everything else to say. Like when was the last time? When was the last time you got shotgunned by a titan, like the full like Ooga Booga style? And they said, "Don't, don't trust strangers as their team hacking you." Like, come on. Like, I would love to do that. <laughs> Thank God, inner team chat is not a thing. Um, that would be nuts. It would be, but like, what? Like, when was the last time a crayon eater came up and like dropped a phenomenal one liner on you, like? Like not even like Arnold level, because even like if you think like like I'm sorry, I, I immediately thought of Arnold Schwarzenegger as when I thought I, know, of I can tell crayon eaters, but um yeah, like, he has some great he has some great one liners, but like they're like Arnold one liners, like there's stuff that he would say like yeah like and the accent makes him better, like I'll be back, like it, it's great, you know, like and he's a villain in that one too, but like Roran going full like. Ah, I'm sorry. I this. I don't know. Ro I don't know. Rowan's Rowan's dialogue was bizarre to me in this section. Like that was just weird. Um, great line, phenomenal line, phenomenally timed. Just why is Rowan the one saying it? Like the I can only, see, I can see logical. That's in quotation marks. People explanation <laughs> is because of the assassin. 
Fair. But um, I could see Aragon saying that. I could totally see Aragon because like Aragon has that bit of like he has a bit of a vindictive streak. It's like I could see him saying that's somebody that pissed him off. Yeah. Like I could see uh Nisueta saying that to pretty much anyone. Um I could see Murtaugh saying that off the out the wazoo. Why is <laughs> Roaring the one saying it? Like anyway. Um then 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 I did write this right before. He did. I, I, it's I in can't the notes. really. It's I'm in the notes. It. I can't. I kind of wish I could show you all the notes, but I did say, "Why do I feel like a magician is going to kill Karn and Roran's going to go ham and murder everyone again?" Then the next line is just an all caps motherfucker bitch. Why the fuck he was the only good character? <laughs> it was great. I read. I was reading his notes. I was reading his notes earlier. I was like, "What the fuck is he going on?" Oh right. Did he? Why Karn? I know. I do realize. I do realize. Karn's the best character to kill off, like in terms of in terms of author. Yeah, in terms of in terms of authorisms, like Karn is the most logical character to kill off because he's going to get emotional response. He's going to make the character mad for a little bit. He's really close to Roran, and he is an interesting character. Now, did you have to kill off the only character that has some like? Room to grow. I know. I know. Now, Ar- Aragon aside, I honestly, Aragon, like, apparently he's always making Aragon grow, but like, Karn was like the best secondary character since Nasueda fell off the table and started dissing Orin left and right. Yeah. But, um, <clears throat> why? Like, couldn't you have killed off Baldor? Like, I know that's mean to Baldor's family, but like, come on, the man was serving no purpose. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, that like, is mean to Baldor. <laughs> that, is, that is pretty mean to Baldor. But, um, well, like, and I get it. It creates a bunch of break. I I'm not saying that the choice to kill off Karn wasn't a good one. It was a phenomenal one. It causes a lot of problems that we have to deal with now. But come on, it was Karn. Like we were really like Eric and I were talking about how much Karns are is our boy. Yeah. Like, oh my god, Eric, we're thinking of you. Yeah, we are, man. As Karns, as Karn is I, dying, we think of you. I do realize that Eric had to know that. When he was telling us to go oh, yeah. his favorite character. I that's know. tough to do. Hey, that, that's like balls of steel, my guy. I appreciate Respect. that. Respect. Uh, Thank you for not spoiling it. Dude, I, facts, I definitely did not see that coming personally. Me neither. Me neither. I did not see that coming at all. If I did, I would have made a prediction. But um and also that death scene was intense. Of like, the other magician? <clears throat> yeah. The and and of Karn's, like of Karn's death and of like draining all the water. Like I think like, that's to show the intensity. I mean, don't get me wrong. Apparently, this book is just darker than the other three, which is fine by me. I mean, there uh, was like a genocide at the beginning of the first one. Yazawak? Yeah, fair enough. I think that got enough. pretty spooky pretty quick, you know? Um, I guess, I guess, I'm guessing it's not, I was guessing it's, that it's not, there wasn't a, an intense scene, but this is much better described. Yeah, he goes into a lot of detail. Like, um, and, and so with that, I think it's just, with that, I think it's just, we're already having all these very intense moments, which is which is great. And but I think it also this intensifies the depths of how much magic can hurt or could do damage. I think that's a big yes. part of this yeah. scenario. I absolutely agree. I think it's also a great example of you know how like part of like wizard or wizard or like magician duels in this book is like outsmarting your opponent or like getting into your opponent's head. I feel like that's a good example of doing something your opponent doesn't anticipate. Because like in terms of all the ways to kill somebody, there's probably a lot in the ancient language. 
but I feel like that is like a final testament to Karn's creativity is that you wouldn't think to take down another magician by draining all of the water out of them. Right. And like another magician wouldn't instantly think, oh, I better prepare against dying of dehydration. Right. So like that's so it's not something they're likely to defend against. And so Karn exploiting that is very gruesome, but also hella smart and creative. And I feel like that's a, something that Aragon might learn from. But I kind of wish Aragon had been there to see it. Oh yeah, I think like, I think of all the people could describe it, but he wouldn't be able to do it. Now, granted, yeah, I think there's a scenario where he could. I know, for example, I know Aragon would never ever do this, but if someone described that scenario to him, and I hate to have to say this as morbid as it might sound, he tries it on insects or a rodent or even already someone's dead body, you know, like just to sure. see the actual effects himself and to understand. And the, and the reason I say, I know this is really bad, but the reason I say an actual human body compared to a rodent or anything like that is just the mass amount of water, the difference that is different than that of a smaller creature. That's fair. I don't think he'll do it one because his qualms over drawing energy from the stuff around him in the first place. And also remember, he's already had practice with manipulating water. Because he, he pulls it up from the ground during the desert. That's true. That's true. So yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think that would particularly make an impact on him. But I think it's a good example of like Karn's, like a last testament of Karn's creativity. Yeah. Also, where in the Sam hell are the rest of Arrow's like innumerable soldiers? No idea. Like no idea. Like I, like I initially I thought they'd be in the keep. Now that's wrong. Like I get it. Like they were trusting that they'd all be in the walls because yeah. like the walls are supposed to be impregnable. But once you hear. You'd think, you think, you think, you think that they come back, but I get it. Um, now, let's let let's move on to the last part that I had issues with. Um, that I actually like got real issues with, because that shit got dark. Like, like that got some real spooky ish, and that was all roar. Oh yeah. I walked out at the end of chapter 21 thinking, yeah, Roran, you're the bad guy here. Um, cause it was pretty Roran, fucked. That was fucked. Uh, Roran, if y'all are wondering what we're referring to, captures the servants, to the three women, and threatens them. They're threatens to kill them. Threatens to torture them. And then um, to the the youngest one threatens to I forget the actual stuff he threatens to do to her but I know one of them is like to break her teeth in to knock out her teeth and um, to use them as a necklace as a trophy yeah and then tells her that she wouldn't does she think a man would ever marry her without teeth and he like says that she's very pretty and like how long that would last when he's knocking her teeth out yeah and that's fucked up um real fucked up real fucked up and just gonna take a little pause for feminism here Roran just used body image and marriage to pressure a girl into telling him what he wanted and she gave in i'm i'm you know with all due respect to, to Christopher Fallini and the work he's put into this, and this is the first time in this series that I've actually, that something has not sat well with me, but that's kind of fucked. Yep. Um, like, 
that's messed up. Yep. I couldn't end on that note, honestly. Yeah, that's that's real messed up. And um and the fact that it works. That's the hard part. Uh, especially because the fact just to fully explain to y'all so y'all at least understand where I'm and I uh, can't speak for Chip, but uh, where I'm coming from on this is that the fact it that did. it works sensibly justifies it. And it, it, first of all, aside aside from the torture thing, that's never ever okay. And in fantasy, obviously, in fantasy, we have to draw these boundaries between like actual morality because it's not the real world. But um, the, the message that, that sends uh, about women and that one woman in particular it is messed up um because like like that that is run exploiting but like i said body image and marriage to get yeah. what he wants and it's essentially and once again i i realize that ideo- ideologically we can argue anything um but that is essentially rewarded by her giving in yes now i'm not saying that he should have knocked her teeth in I'm saying that that is messed up. Yeah. And 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 it's like grisly stuff happens, torture happens, stuff like that messed up-ish happens. But not from a character that's widely and openly portrayed as a hero. Oh yeah. That's that is I don't know what or if Christopher Apollini was just playing the smooth card about saying that his development, character development, was done. Me neither. But granted, it might have been development in terms of up. It might have just been development in terms of a fall. I mean, that's that's fair. And I, I don't know if this is character development or this is just how Pallini, if he meant this a completely different way. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm i definitely bringing this part up in our next interview. Yeah. Um, uh because i don't want to shy away from that but um in in terms like and once again we can obviously justify this with with uh do what you have to do to win the battle but they could have just looked for him yeah like they were already in they could have just looked for yeah and and particularly the fact that the thing that gets her to talk is that threat um, and the idea that she can only go anywhere in life by marrying somebody and that he's going to take that away and that works. Simple. That, come on now. That, that, does, that does not sit right with me. Um, right. I, I realize that Paolini will most likely have an explanation for this. Yes. I, I really hope he does. Um, that's definitely something where I'm going to be bringing up. Um, but yeah, yeah, Roran's the bad guy here. Oh yeah, yeah, that that was messed up. But yeah. moving on, yeah. If you're uh, ready to move on uh, to chapter twenty-two for uh, in- interim, there's not too much to note in this chapter. Only that uh, Roran is really taking the toll, and I, I do appreciate how Palini emphasizes that here with like his injury because he gets shot in the back right now once again 
Roy got some. Roy's got a horseshoe up his ass. Or two, like, but yes. Sorry. Or two, but yes. Yeah. Because like, can you imagine like the arrow hit his rib and bounded back? Yeah. Like I get it. Like I get that stuck there had to be cut out, but like it hits your rib like like if it hit like the like an arrow hitting your rib straight on and not like slipping past it. But anyway. Yeah. Um like the toll, like I appreciate how much Palin emphasizes the toll on Roran because and I think this is kind of his way of equalizing that equalizing the demigod-ish nature of Roran, you know, that we've been complaining about for the past couple of sections. Right. So like, I do I, I get like Instrum is basically Palin a bit of Palin's patchwork in terms of uh showing us that Roran's still mortal. Um and and with wrapping up uh wrapping up the thing with Brigman. Like, I do appreciate that he chose Brigman for the job. Like, I think that was a good move. I just, it's not that consistent with how Roran and Brigman have been going off. But, like, I appreciate the show of respect that happened there. Me too. Um, and that was a nasty little bit with Theros, though. A little bit. A yeah. Little bit. Yeah. So Roran has another enemy. I think, I think what we found out is that Aragorn just goes around making promises that he can or cannot keep and just constantly keeps on promising himself to anyone and everyone that goes by. Uh, yeah. Whereas Roran just makes enemies everywhere he goes. Yeah. Not a good, not a good combo. No, not really. But I, I imagine that Palini's going to keep the stuff with Theros going through. Um, I hope so. I don't think he'd bring that up if it wasn't. Right. I don't know. He's been, we've been saying that and he's been doing it more often where he's been letting stuff lie a bit in this fourth book because he's got a lot to go through. And I think, I think he mentioned that kind of also within the last interview we had, he had to cut out, you know, a decent amount of some things. So not, not to leave him on, like not to leave him not finished, but to not add as much detail into those certain scenarios. Yeah. So like, I I get it. I think he's uh, definitely trimming the fat a little bit around these areas, but I do think, I do hope that, that Roran's at least Roran's debts get paid. Yes. Um, I think that'd be a good uh, little chapter two to have. Yeah. Um, and to wrap everything up. Oh, also one last thing. One last thing. Um, if we're talking about the Varden's reputation, which is very important when you're leading revolution, I'm thinking it's kind of screwed right now. Like, like kind of screwed. Because okay. like if you think about it, if you think about it, the main body of the Varden are attacking cities with a mythical dragon. The lifetime enemies of humanity, uh, the Urgles, who are obviously are misunderstood, but still lifetime enemies of humanity. The dwarves, the elves. I'm oh, sorry. The thing that would freak me out the most are a bunch of cats coming around and like, yep, <laughs> just like, just like, a or like, or like, like, imagine a cat, or imagine a boy running at you, exactly. and then changes into a cat, and then starts yeah. punching you in the face. The boy. And like you throw it off and it turns into a cat. Like, what the fuck is happening? That's like some poltergeist shit. Like, that is like that would freak me out. Like, that would be like like gates of hell are open and like like that. I'm sorry, like main body of the Varden, their image has to be in the dirt. Yeah. Because like I if I was a normal person, I would be scared out of my mind. Yeah. Um, and same, like, and then on Roran's end, you've got like butcher of arrows over here like sacking your city killing your people murdering your lord and now the only like the most high-ranking noble pharos that you have left hates the guy yeah 
So like, and then you got him making like torture threats and going all around and like being creepy as all get out. Like the Varden's reputation is kind of trash right now. Yeah. Like at least among the people that aren't already with them. So like, I, I wonder if we'll see more of that effect there. Cause maybe. Yeah. Um, and to wrap things up, I do really love the implications at the end that Drastleon is going really badly. Oh, yes. Um, because, one, that's, I appreciate you cutting us off there. That was a good cliffhanger. Um, two, it implies that Murtag and Aragon are at a standstill. Like, right. one of them hasn't beaten the other yet, which is great. Because, you know, we had Murtag win first and Aragon kind of win second. Not really, but yeah. kind of win second. And then now that they're like, if they've been going at it for a couple of days and nobody's won yet. Yeah. I love, I love the implication of that. Yeah. So we're going to see what happens. Can't wait. So. <sighs> but yeah, no, we definitely, got. Got anything else? definitely again, as we, as, and I do reciprocate, I think it's the right word, reciprocate um, the feelings about the last part within the chapter before this one, um, in Dust and Ashes, uh, about the usage of body image and how fucked up that is um, with uh, Armin's sayings. Uh, I do believe that I would like to talk to Pellini. I think, again, like Armin said, he definitely, I would assume he has an explanation. Um, but yeah, I don't really know how much more I have to say. I'm very sad yeah. to have Karn die. That really kind of annoyed I me know. too. That, that came out of the blue. I was sad. not ready for that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, but thank you all for listening as always. Uh, all right, any last words, buddy? No, that's about all I got. As always, thanks for listening and take care, y'all. That's a wrap. Flights to Allegazia is produced by Chip and Armin. Hosted by Chip and Armin. Created by Chip and Armin. Edited by Chip. Music is by Oscar Barbeza. Website is by Chip. Illustrations are by Birdie Taylor. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.